Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. We're going to dive into a topic that, personally, I really don't like. Um, However, I was approached uh, by uh, a a few people um, with uh, different theories about places and people, uh, origins of the Antichrist, and when and how and who, and I thought that this is not the first time I hear that. In fact, it's not even the second or the third, and I really want to kind of put some order in this mess. There's too much disinformation and too much wrong way of dividing the Word of God when it comes to that uh, personality that we are uh, thankfully not going to see. So um, I'm not here to give time to the Antichrist because I think he is so important. I just think that everything in the Bible is important. And if the Bible has something to say about that person, then we need to know. Otherwise, what's the point of having it in the Bible? So I truly believe that this is a topic that God wants us to deal with, um, although we don't like it, although we're not into it. So the Antichrist, who, where, when, and and why. Um, So let's start uh, with it. First of all, when I say who, you're not really expecting me here to give you a name, I hope. (laughs) And then the, the reason is this, um, we're not supposed to know he, who he is, but well, we need to understand who, when it comes to what is it, who is that person that the Bible calls him the Antichrist. Of course, the portions that are talking about the Antichrist are mostly portions from the Greek New Testament, and the word Antichristos, as you can see in the Greek, is actually can be broken into two, anti and Christos. Anti is opposite to or in place of. In other words, it speaks of something completely different. However, something that wants to be like something else. And then, of course, the word Christos, that's why we call Christ Christ, because of the word Christos. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. And that means anointed one. Some, and, and someone who is the Messiah, someone who is the anointed one. So opposite to the anointed one. Opposite to Christ. Someone acting in place of or against Christ. That's what the Antichrist is all about. So we need to, when we deal with that, we need to understand. Now, by the way, the scriptures um, gave us um, an answer to who is the Antichrist. And so, not the name, of course, but 1 John 2.22, it says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So we know from the book of 1 John 2.22 that whether we see someone 
or not see someone, the term Antichrist belongs to anyone, A, who is a liar. What makes someone a liar? Someone who knows the truth. Otherwise, you're not a liar. You're wrong, but you're not a liar. But what makes someone a liar? So he's a liar. He denies that Jesus is the Christ because he knows Jesus is the Christ. And the Antichrist denies the Father and the Son. In other words, you see that this lying entity in the future not only was foreshadowed earlier in the history, but also, I would say, anyone who is denying the Father and the Son and knows the truth is an antichrist. Okay, so it's interesting because I'm thinking, who can know the truth and know that it is the truth and yet deny the Father and the Son and Jesus as the Messiah? You have to understand something. Most people that deny Jesus as the Messiah, they deny Jesus as the Messiah because they think he is not the Messiah. But this person knows he is, lies about it, and denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 2, 18, 19 says, Little children, it is the last hour. And then he says, And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, and that is of course in the plural case, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So we see two different things here. We see an Antichrist and the Antichrist. These are two different things. An Antichrist, someone who came from within, someone who acted like, and then eventually was exposed. And then, of course, the Antichrist. Now, of course, in the past and even in the present, there's a lot of people like that. But there is only one who is going to be in the future the Antichrist. Because obviously, as you will learn this evening, the Antichrist cannot come from within because we're gone. We're not here for him to come from within. You understand that? So we have two different things that John was referring to. Now, let's go all the way back to the liar who knows the truth and tells the lie. Okay, let's go back to Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you see two things here. God said earlier, if you eat from that fruit, you will surely die. That's what he said. He says, hey, I'm just warning you because I want you to live because I am the life, you know. I want you to live, so just don't eat from this, because if you eat from it, you will surely die. Then comes someone else and says, hey, by the way, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. In fact, let me tell you why he told you not to eat. He may not want you to be like him, because if you eat from that fruit, 
You will be like God. This is so amazing. You see from the very beginning, the manifestation of Satan has always been in two ways. One, to lie and deceive. Two, to always try to imitate God. To always try to be like God. To always be a counterfeit. It's funny because I was thinking the other day how the Antichrist will, will, will want people to have the mark on their hands and their foreheads. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting that God told the people of Israel symbolically to have His Word on their arms and between their eyes? I mean, that's what the Jewish people, as they pray at the Wailing Wall, have. They've got a box on their arms and they've got a box right between their eyes. And it's even that was a subject of a counterfeit by the Antichrist himself. Isaiah 14 gives us a description of an event that must have taken place before the creation of, of, of uh, the world by Jesus, of course. And Jesus was there to see that happening. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, For you have said in your heart, about Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. That was his goal from day one. And it's interesting because he injected that poison on Genesis 3 to mankind to the point that the first time ever mankind gathered together ever from all places, you would think it's a worship service. You would think it's a thanksgiving service. No, they gathered together so they can get high above the cloud all the way to replace God. The Spirit continues. So we understand whoever he is going to be, he is a liar and he is a counterfeit. He will lie and he will try to be like. These are fundamental things that we need to understand. Now, the biggest question of all is where? Where is he coming from? Where is that who is going to be the Antichrist? Because the other Antichrists are people who may have come from within, from, from the church and came out. And of course, they were exposed. They denied the Father and the Son. They were liars. They were deceivers. But there is the Antichrist. And where is he going to come from? That's a big question that most people, this is where they're actually mistaken. You understand, first of all, there is the... Some people think the theory of Micah chapter 5, verse 5, that he is the Assyrian. Okay, Micah, of course, talks about where Messiah is going to come from originally. But then Micah moves on to speak of a specific judgment over the um, enemies of Israel. And he's speaking of a king known as the Assyrian. Now, it is a very interesting thing because Micah's prophecy was fulfilled shortly after he gave it by King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, who reigned 
from 705 to 681 BC. Exactly word by word. That king came from Assyria. He was the king of Assyria. You can actually argue and say Assyria was the kingdom of the world of that time. The superpower of the world. So he was the ruler of the world. Yes, he was. But he came against Israel and he was judged by God and he was gone. You also must understand that there are specific criterias by which the Antichrist is going to be characterized. And that is why only three books in the Bible are valid when we talk about the Antichrist. Only those three books speaks of him in connection with three things. One, connection with ruling the world. Two, connection with peace for Israel. And the three is connection with the temple, which is in Jerusalem. So if you only decide to take only one of the three and say, okay, this is it, then what about the other two? And that is what people did with the Assyrian. He was maybe a world leader, but he didn't come to bring peace to Israel, and he surely did not come to build a temple for Israel. What Sennacherib did is bringing what? Destruction, nothing more than that. And so he's definitely out of the question. But then come Ezekiel 28, the famous chapter that describes the king of Tyre of those days. Ezekiel 28 follows Ezekiel 27. Remember that. Always. Because when you come to deal with a king of a city that was a kingdom at that time, a kingdom, by the way, that was so wealthy and so well-known and so superior that it did business with all the known world of those days. Tyre had a, 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 an island or a peninsula and the mainland, and it was one of the most amazing cities in the world. And it was so wealthy, and it was so powerful, and it was so influential that it caused the king of Tyre to think that he is God. And by the way, make no mistake, I've seen enough people along the history that thought that they are God. Even George Soros thinks he is God. I want you to know that Tyre was destroyed twice. Destroyed, I'm sorry, the D. <laughs> destroyed twice. First after Ezekiel's, after Ezekiel's prophecy. First by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And that was about 587, he was destroyed before he came to destroy the Judah. And then, if that was not enough and not final, then came Alexander the Great and leveled that city to the ground. And those, you have to understand, when Ezekiel described the king of Tyre, he first described the destruction of Tyre itself, and then in the next chapter, the king. Now, God's judgment upon a king who was sure he is a god is not something new. I mean, we've seen it before. Many leaders along the history acted as if they are God. And I want to give you an interesting example that I'm sure most of you never heard of. Look at this coin that in 1806 was minted by Napoleon. It says, Napoleon, emperor and king. This is a portrait of Napoleon, appears on one side of the medal, surrounded by the inscription, 
Napoleon, king and emperor. But I want to flip the coin right now. And Napoleon is portrayed as an imperial dress, granting a kneeling French Jew the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Inscribed under the figures are the phrase, the Grand Sanhedrin, and the date Napoleon announced its convention on May 30th, 1806. He saw that it fits for him to be dressed like the one who gave the law to the people of Israel. And this is just Napoleon from 1806. You can actually go back in history and see other crazy leaders that thought they are God. By the way, almost every Roman Caesar thought at some point he is a God. This is why the Romans had always a clown. There was a, a specific clown that was in the parades of the Romans, the victory parades. The clown would always whisper, you're not a God. You're not a God. That was his job. To remind the Caesar that he is not a god. Because Caesar always had the tendency of thinking he is God. They are all powerful. They control empires. They move things. They shake things. Anything they want comes to them. Whatever they want destroyed is destroyed. Whatever they want created is created. And it's interesting because so many places, even in the land of Israel, we see a temple of Augustus, for example. A temple that was dedicated to, not a god, a Caesar, who probably thought he is a god. So it's not out of the ordinary to deal with a king who thought he is a god. That's why the king of Tyre is one of many kings along the history, Caesars and short French Caesars, who, um, who thought that they could be like God. And then comes, of course, the theory which I see um, across uh, um, so many different Christian uh, books and, and teachings online, and that is that the Antichrist is a Muslim. And as a Jew, I can tell you that it is an unthinkable thing. Think about it. Can a Muslim be, first of all, a world leader? Can a Muslim be a world leader? A Muslim cannot even be a ruler of his own empire or his own country because he's hated by all the others. If there is one thing the Muslims hate more than the Jews is one another. And you can see that. You can see that all throughout the world, all across the world. I cannot see any Muslim becoming the world leader because you're having the Shiites on one side and the Sunnis on one side and, and fraction of the Shiites here and the Sunnis here. And, and by the way, all over the world, when you see um, the spread of Islam, I'm not sure that the world is convinced that that's the type of thing they want um, to be controlling them. But if that's not enough, can a Muslim be accepted as a Messiah by the Jews? A religion that is calling to the killing of the Jews, how can it be accepted by the Jews as the one who produces their Messiah? Believe it or not, to be the Antichrist, you need to be first received as Christ. You understand that? What makes you the Antichrist? You are acting like you're Christ. Yeah, and not Jesus Christ, but the Messiah, Christos. Interesting, can it? A Muslim allow a Jewish temple on the third holiest site for Islam in the world to be built? 
So these are fundamental things that one must ask himself in order to, 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 to consider whether it can happen or not. Now, I may have said where they're not coming from or what they are not. And by the way, as I said, only three books in the Bible are clearly giving us the description of the Antichrist in relations, A, to the temple, to the peace with Israel, and to world domination. And that is, of course, in Daniel in the Old Testament, in 2 Thessalonians, and in the book of Revelation. We see that, and it's the same common thread all throughout those things. So, in that case, now we need to try to find out, okay, if he's not from there, and if not that one that, that Ezekiel said, and if not that one that Micah said, and he's not that one that some people think might come from Turkey or from other places, then where is he from? Now I'm taking you to a journey that I believe is a fascinating journey. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is known, the king of Babylon, he was known as the one who built Babylon. However, Babylon in Hebrew is Babel. Did you know that? Babylon is Babel. And Babel, of course, Genesis 11, the first nine verses, the Tower of Babel. And what is the idea of the Tower of Babel? And you can see a picture of it, a painting of Peter Bruegel, the elder, the Dutch painter, you can see over there. This is, the Tower of Babel is, is beyond just a building. It's a concept. It's a mindset. The mindset is this. Mister, you think you're over us, but actually, we really don't need you. <laughs> actually, we want to make a name to our own city. We want to make a name. And we actually can get up there and replace you if you want, if we want. I mean, it, it is a, a, an amazing display of rebellion of mankind against God who created them. Now, the Babylonian Empire, just so you know, was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians in Babylon, in that territory where it was. The Persian Empire was destroyed by Alexander the Great in Babylon. The Greek Empire, you would think that from Greece, which is in Western Europe, so to speak, you would think that they are going to expand to Europe. You know where the Greek went to? All the way to Babylon. Most of the Greek empire expanded towards Babylon. It was the biggest area for them. And only after the Greek period, we see a shift in history, geography, and, 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 and the story of world superpowers. And that is the rise of the Roman Empire. The Romans defeated the Greek in several places. One was the uh, battle in Corinth. Another one is the battle of Actium. Corinth, what is second century BC? Actium was in 31 BC. And then the Roman Empire shifted all the world's attention and trade and affairs to Europe. And that is an interesting shift. Because I'm thinking about the vision that Daniel saw in chapter 7 
A vision that in, in verses 7 and 8, after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. He's, Daniel says, all the empires before this new one is different. And he says, I was considering the horns. He says, it was different because it had ten horns. And I was considering the horns and there was actually another one, a little one, coming up from them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. So basically Daniel said, saw a Ten horns, three were plucked out of the roots, and one comes out right there from the heart, from the middle of it. And there in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Daniel in chapter 7 lays the foundation for what he's going to talk about later on also. Regarding that image, that person, that man of sin that is going to rise from an empire that had ten horns out of which three were plucked out of their roots. You can clearly look at this. Uh, it's not the best. But. Now, there's only one part of the world where ancient tribes, ancient, ten ancient tribes existed and three of them don't exist anymore. And that's Europe of today. I want you to see the list of those ten tribes. The Visigoths, the Anglo-Saxons, the Franks, the Alemanni, the Burgundians, the Lombards, the Suevi, Heruli, Ostrogoths, and the Vandals all comprise Europe, or at least Western Europe of those days. And in an interesting way, Heruli, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals don't exist anymore. They were rooted out completely. They're gone. And the rest are all comprising Western Europe. And it's very interesting because when you look at the flag today of the European Union, you're looking actually at something that is not that innocent. I want you to remember that. This is a flag of something that goes all the way back to the Queen of Heaven. That is the crown of the Queen of Heaven. A title given by the Babylonians. Think about it. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Babylon was in Babylon for the longest time. And even when came the Medes and the Persians and, and later on the Greek, it was still Babylon in Babylon. What I'm trying to tell you is that Europe imported Babylon into Europe. The shift has been made from one geographical area to another one with the same spirit of that one over here. That's why when the Bible says mystery Babylon, obviously it's not the Babylon, it's a mystery Babylon. It's something that is, is not that clear because it is having the name, but not necessarily the place. Just like, by the way, when you, you have in the Bible twice the use of the word Gog and Magog. 
First, you see the use of that word in Ezekiel 38 and 39, but then you have it once again used to describe the spirit of the same thing in the book of Revelation, describing the war that will end up all wars, just the last ditch of Satan before he's thrown down to the lake of fire. Same type of thing, coming against God's people, coming against God's sheltered one, coming against the city. So you see that sometimes a name is being used in another time period, in another geographical location, but it has the same spirit. Even Armageddon, for example. Armageddon is the name of many Hollywood movies. I mean, Bruce Willis can tell you that. But, uh, but that's the spirit of destruction and, uh, you know, all of that. But Armageddon, of course, is a place where something interesting is going to happen. So, so here we are, the queen of heaven, a title given by the Babylonians to the earthly mother of Nimrod. They believe the one who built Babylon. Nimrod, by the way, if you remember, is the great-grandson of Noah, according to Genesis 10. Verse 8, and, and so it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel once again. You see, the Europeans are using a symbol that is taking you back to the Tower of Babel, back to Babylon, back to the symbol, the satanic symbol of rebellion against God and the attempt to either prove that there is no God or to replace Him. Wow. And it's interesting because the city of Babylon, God destroyed that tower and the city was known as, as a symbol of sin and of course rebellion against God. And it's interesting because the people of Israel, when they rebelled against him or when they were disobedient, in 586, God had allowed his people to be exiled to the city of rebellion because of their rebellion. And of course... It's a very interesting thing because that same tower, the painting of that tower that we saw, as I said, Peter Bruegel the Elder, the Tower of Babel, 1563. You can find it in Vienna in the Kunsthistorisches Museum. It's the uh, history of the uh, art um, in, uh, in the Museum of the History of the Art in Vienna. Very famous fa uh, painting. But it doesn't stop there. The Europeans, they don't just uh, fell in love with, with this thing and kept it as a painting in their, uh, uh, in their um, museum. Their entire parliament building in Strasbourg was designed according to the Tower of Babel, exactly according to that same painting. And if that's not enough, we know that they spent $12 billion complex. It was completed in the year 2000 and stands as a symbol of the pride man takes in his rebellion against God. Think about it. In the heart of Europe, they're saying, by the way, as the, you take a, a guided tour, this is the Tower of Babel. <laughs> they're telling you that. If, if you don't believe me, say, I don't, please. And I tell you why. Because... The next picture you can see, and see for yourself what Europe is. The Europeans themselves came up with a poster that says, Europe, many tongues, one voice. And look at the poster, the T 
Tower of Babel. If that's not enough, the Europeans are saying, free for all, we can all share the same star, all religions. That's the European. If that's not enough, outside of the EU Council building in Brussels, stand a picture of the woman riding the beast. As you can see, if that's not enough, it's all talking about the rape of Europa. It's, a, it's in the Greek mythology, a story of Zeus disguised himself as a white bull in order to seduce the princess Europa who was gathering flowers. And when she approached the bull and got on its back, the bull seized the occasion to run away with her and eventually raped her. And after her death, she received the divine honors as the queen of heaven. Now everything comes together with even their flag. You can see Revelation 17, 3 to 5. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast with was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And same thing, remember, ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and, and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. By the way, that same woman riding the beast, you can see that on so many other things. In 1945, you can see on the five Deutsche Mark banknote in Germany, you could find it. In 1979, in a painting on the Berlin Wall in Germany, 84 on a British stamp commemorating the second European parliamentary elections. 1992 on a German EQ coin, that was before the Euro on a painting at the airport lounges in Brussels, on a German telephone card that they produce, and on the back of the new two euro coin in Greece. Europe is saturated with symbols of the Antichrist, with symbol of the beast, with symbols of rebellion against God and trying to take the place of God. If that's not enough, you probably are familiar with this guy called Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler, as you know, um, ruled Germany between 1933-34 uh, when he won the election all the way until um, the fall of the Third Reich in 1945. Adolf Hitler commissioned a man called Albert Speer Albert Speer, to design in the city of Nuremberg a big area for the soldiers to gather for big ceremonies. And you can see the building in the back, and it was a huge building. And by the way, he didn't do it for nothing. It's the same Albert Speer that was inspired also by what? The altar, not after, altar uh, it's after all the altar of Zeus, okay? Now, where is the altar of Zeus? The altar of Zeus is in the heart of Germany, in Berlin. There is a, a, a museum called the Pergamon Museum. That's where you have two things, by the way. You have the um, uh, altar of Zeus that is also known as the throne of Satan, 
And you also have something else which you will see in a second. Revelation 2, verse 13. I know your works and where you dwell and where Satan's throne is and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwelt. That was to the church of Pergamon. And the museum is the Pergamon Museum. They brought from the city of Pergamon, that's the city of Pergamon in, in Turkey of today. They brought from the city of Pergamon the entire altar known as the seat of Satan, as is. Now, you guys are protesting against the Arch of Baal, which is only a replica. This is not a replica. They brought the seat of Satan, as is, to Berlin. If that's not enough, and by the way, that's how it looked like. Here it is. Remember, that's what... Hitler's big area was, uh, was designed after. If that's not enough, remember Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. The Ishtar gate of Babylon, as is, was brought from Babylon to Berlin. Make no mistake, by the way, Germany is seeing itself today as the capital of the EU. The Germans are the strongest country in the EU. After them comes the French, and they're like... Okay, let's see who rules better. That's why when Macron, by the way, was elected, it was interesting to see how they depicted him as someone who's walking on water. I don't know if you know that. Newsweek magazine showed him walking on water, and then it says, is he the deliverer of Europe? And everybody, you, you see hands of people drowning. Very interesting. So we see that Europe is filled and saturated with that. And when did it actually start? Of course, it started, if you go all the way back to the time of the Roman Empire, the Romans destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. And when Daniel was given the vision of the 70 weeks, Daniel dis completely described the person who is going to destroy it and then he talked about the 70th week regarding the same person, regarding the same people, regarding the same geographical location. In very interesting thing, because I can show you so many things, so many chapters of history of, 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 of Europe, but I, I chose only few of them. One is, of course, someone you know as the Knights Templar. Many of you probably heard about them. These people... Uh, appeared as they are those who are um, somehow uh, um, they are protectors of the pilgrims to uh, Jerusalem and those who will also make sure that the temple is going to stand. In fact, the reason why they were called Templar is because they received um, place in Jerusalem underneath the Temple Mount. That's why that they had that name. Now, how can a few Knights from Western Europe, mostly France. How can a few knights become so powerful that the king of the Jerusalem kingdom of those days gave them a, a part of the Temple Mount, basically? And that, of course, because we are talking about evil people that when all the truth came out about the initiation uh, ceremonies to that group of people, you would not believe these people were actually... were peeing on the cross, and they were actually performing sexual acts of the same sex, 
and they would actually be forced to worship an image of Satan in the shape of a man with the head of a goat. Interesting. These same people continued all the way throughout um, the history. After they were exposed and the king of France killed them, they somehow passed the baton on and on to other people, and the baton reached the heart of Germany in the 1700s. The same satanic mindset that Lucifer is the one who brings the light, that God and anything of God is wrong and should be eliminated, the same mindset continued, and in Western Germany of today, there were, in the mid of the 1700s, two things that happened at the same time, simultaneously. There's a man called Amschel Bauer, who actually had a, an ancient coin shop. Uh, he was a goldsmith. And Amschel Moses Bauer. And while he opened his shop, shortly and around the same time, another man was born in the city of Ingolstadt in Germany called Adam Weishaupt. Now, they never knew each other, but Mr. Amschel Moses Bauer eventually died. His son is the one who came back after he became wealthy and bought the father's shop in, in Frankfurt, and he saw that above the shop there was a red shield, and he decided to take upon himself the name Rothschild, Rothschild. And basically, he is the one who connected with Adam Weishaupt, which was someone who became a very, very, uh, uh, um, I would say, uh, radical uh, against Christianity. He started as a Jesuit and actually turned against Christianity, went after a French philosopher, Voltaire, and actually became so much against it that they together somehow decided that they know something that the others don't. They have seen the light, and they formed a group called the Bavarian Illuminati. Illuminati means what? The enlightened ones. They know the light. What light? I'll show you what light in a second. And watch this. After them, once they are exposed, what are they going to do? How are they going to continue? They passed the baton once again, and the baton moved to a new group of people, innocent group that started in London in the 1700s and, and continued in, in Europe of that time, and that's the group called the Freemasons. The Masonic movement started well, a builder's guild. They were okay, but then when they no longer had to build uh, 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 cathedrals and temples and all of that, when everything was already standing, they became the speculative masons. They became dealing with more spiritual things and the, um, this, the, this whole satanic mindset of the light of Lucifer continued through them. And I will just quote from Albert Pike who wrote a book called Morals and Dogma. This guy is in the Sovereign Grand Commander Supreme Council of the 33 degree of the Masons. And he said, Lucifer, the light bearer, strange and mysterious name given to the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, the son of the morning, it is he who bears the light. 
Doubt it not. That's the spirit that came into that movement. And Sister Helena Petrovna Balbatsky, it is Satan who is the god of our planet and the only god. Satan or Lucifer represents the centrifugal energy of the universe, this ever-living symbol of self-sacrifice for the intellectual independence of humanity. Because Satan said to Eve, Eat, you will surely not die, because now you're going to know everything that God doesn't want you to know. Satan became the good guy, God is the bad guy, and now they are either hailing him as the one who self-sacrificed himself for the intellectual independence of humanity. And it's interesting because, look, Europe as an empire was the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was eventually defeated by the Germanic tribes, and that's it, it was gone. But ever since the 1900s, you see, step by step, it started with 1923 to 1926, the pan-European movement started by the Austrian count uh, uh, who founded the pan-European movement. In, in, in 26, he managed to bring together diverse political figures in the first Congress held in Vienna. 1950, the Schumann Declaration. The French Foreign Minister, Robert Schumann, proposed that France and Germany, remember we talked about them, France and Germany and any other European country wishing to join them pull their coal and steel resources, this plan of economic integration looked for developing their... So they started just innocently as economical. Then came 1951, the Treaty of Paris, and then, ladies and gentlemen, the treaty that founded the EU is the Treaty of... Next one, Rome. Interesting, the Roman Empire is revived. And the treaty that causes it to come back to life, not just as economical, but as a political entity, is the Treaty of Rome. It's the two treaties that were signed in Rome that gave birth to the European economic community. And then in 1987, the single European act, the Treaty of Maastricht, the Treaty of Amsterdam, the Treaty of Lisbon, that eventually gave birth to a new position that was not there since the fall of the Roman Empire. Ever since there was a Caesar, a new position, the president of the European Council. Ladies and gentlemen, the place is ready. Europe is saturated with the Antichrist spirit. Europe is filled with with, with blindness, apathy to the Word of God, churches becomes discotheques or mosques all across that continent. Clubs, unbelievable. The place is definitely ready. Okay, but when? When is it going to come? That's a good question, don't you think so? That's a million dollar question. When? Well, first of all, the Bible says, and the only places in the Bible, again, that are referring to that men in relations to the temple, to the Jews, and to peace, is in both Daniel, Thessalonians, and in Revelation. 
after, according to 2 Thessalonians, he will come after a great apostasy and before the second coming. Now, let me explain something. How many of you believe that there is wars around the world, but there is a war that we cannot see? There, there's what we call spiritual warfare that is going on. Yes, the Bible says so. That we, 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 we fight invisible enemy, yes, and we, we know that. That enemy is there. And the battle, there are two battlefields. There is the battlefield in heaven, dominated by God, by God and by God's choice, Jesus, the darling of heaven. And there is the world, earth, here, dominated by Satan, by men's choice. And that is, of course, the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, Jesus claimed that he saw Satan falling like a, remember, like a lightning. And by the way, Isaiah 14 says so. He was thrown down. But we see two places in the scriptures that are speaking of a falling down of Satan. One could have been a falling down from his status of being one of the closest angels to God. And the other one is the physical falling down from heaven to earth. How do I know that? Because in Revelation 12, the Bible speaks of a war in heaven, in the heavenlies. It's a war that is going to take place between Satan and the archangel. And we know that he is losing that war in heaven. And that which is in heaven from Revelation 12 is going to move now to earth. And now that which dominated um, um, earth will receive a manifestation of Satan in the shape of a man that is going to rule on his behalf the world. And now his affairs of Satan himself will be on earth. He lost the battle in heaven. He was cast down. That's it. And that in heaven will be in earth. In Revelation 13 through 18, Satan tries on earth. He's really trying. He's doing whatever he can. That's when we hear about the one world government and the one world economy and the one world religion and the mark of the beast and all the trade and all the commerce. He tries. But in Revelation 19, he also loses the war on earth. Amen? And it's very interesting. When I was a young boy, I grew up in foster care. I had very, very hard life at the time. And you know, when you have hard life, you always sail in your imagination to better places. To better places with better position and better, and better status. And my dream has always been to be the ambassador of Israel to some country. I'm telling you, I, I saw all those movies, the ambassadors, and you know, cocktails, and, and they talk, and they represent the country, and they fight for the country in the diplomatic uh, uh, you know, arena, and all of that. I thought, wow, that, that, that's really what I want to be. I, I really consider that. But then I remembered that every time I read about wars, if there was about to be a war between two countries, and one country is about to wage war on the other, the first thing that country is going to do 
is call its ambassador back home before it starts the war. I know that the Bible says that we are the ambassadors of Christ. And before that war is going to be waged on earth, the judgment of God on earth, the ambassadors must be called back home. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Look, there is no doubt. The spirit of the Antichrist is everywhere. The mystery of lawlessness is everywhere. You, you, you want to take a look at it? Go tight. Hollywood is right there. The mystery of lawlessness, they just had a Grammy Award or, or Emmy Award. Did you see what they said there? You didn't see that? Ariana Grande sang that God is a woman. Yes. Now, that's the new thing. God is a woman. Now the new thing. And then one of the other hosts said, well, I don't believe in God, but if he is God, he is a woman. Listen, it was a long mockery of conservatives, Christians, and, uh, and, 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 and Republican politicians. It was unbelievable. What I saw, I was like, now I didn't watch it. I read and then saw the clips of that mockery. Because I don't have time to watch those things. But I do want to tell you something. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he, capital E-A-H, is taken out of the way. And read with me. And then. Okay, let's stop. Say it again. And then. Now, that means that only after the restrainer is removed out of the way, only then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord will what? Consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So you see, he has to come. Listen. So we are given between those three or four lines the exact timing of the appearance of the Antichrist. He has to come after the restrainer is out of the way before the second coming when Jesus comes back and destroys him. That's the window. Last time I checked, the restrainer is still here. If the restrainer is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of you, we are having the power of the restrainer. And the last time I checked, we have to go up first to be with him in order to come back on earth with him. So, there's a very small window. So we dealt with who is that thing? We dealt with where is he going to come from? We dealt with when will he come? 
But I have a question for you. Why? Why would he even come? Why would the world see someone like that? And that's where 2 Thessalonians continued. In, in verse 9 to 12, the coming of the lawless one is what? Is according to the working of Satan. In other words, first of all, it's because Satan is at work. With all power signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, let's reverse the verse. They might be saved if they could have received or if they would have received the love of the truth. The Bible says, by the way, the truth, what is the truth? Your word is truth. We are sanctified by his word, by the truth. In other words, because they do not believe in God's word, which is the truth, the life, and the way, they do not believe in Jesus, who is the truth, the life, and the way, and the word of God, and because they did not receive, by the way, to receive. The word receive is also describing Jesus when he said, I will come back to receive you unto myself. It's, it's, it's an active part on behalf of the person. So you have to receive the word of the truth. It's not going to be shoved into your throat. You have to receive. You have to respond. You have to do something. Nobody is born a Christian. Not even a single person on planet earth along the history of mankind was ever born a Christian. Man, one must be born again, according to John 3, in order to enter into the kingdom of God. It's a process. So, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this reason, look, God gave them all of that spirit of delusion only because they rejected him already. It's not like God enjoyed blinding people. It's, be, it's actually they, they rejected him wholeheartedly. That's why Satan, look, listen. People worship Satan today. Do you know that? There are churches of Satan. People I've seen with my very eyes. When, 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 when President Trump was elected, there was a march of the women. Remember that? There were groups of people from the church of Satan. Satanic ones. And then they, they don't even hide it anymore. The worship of Satan is no longer under the ground. It's up above. In fact... If you come to a TV show today and you say you believe in Satan, then you'll probably be more accepted than if you say you believe in Jesus. That's the world that wholeheartedly rejects the love of the truth. So God gave them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe. They are condemned for their disbelief. They did not believe the truth, but had pleasure 
in unrighteousness. It's not that they're, they're having unrighteousness. They take pleasure in it. Oh, we love it. We're, we're proud we're like that. That lawlessness is why he's coming. Deception was at Paul's time regarding the times and the seasons, if you remember. And Paul said, do not be deceived. Regarding the times and the seasons, you perfectly know that the day of the Lord will so comes, he says. And now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it is from us. In other words, be careful. People are going to flood you with books and DVDs and TV shows. Be careful. We ask you, as though the day of Christ had already come, let no one deceive you by any means. For the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Deception and apostasy. Apostasia in the Greek. And of course he said, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes. He says, look, the judgment will come. The day of the Lord, the judgment will come when the church is going to be in apostasy and the world will actually walk after the man of sin. But then he says, look, that man, what characterizes, the, characterizes that man? You don't have to worry about it. You're not going to be here. He says, look, he opposes and exalts himself of, above all that is called God or that is worship. He doesn't stop here. That's not uh, the king of Tyre. Look, so that he sits as God where? In the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You understand? There are criterias for the Antichrist. See, why is it that people are going to follow him? Because people want prosperity. People want, you know, if he's going to bring peace and prosperity, if he's going to uh, bless us, why not? 1 Timothy 6 says, Now godliness with content is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drawn men into destruction and perdition. The son of perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, for which some have stayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's two tracks of deception. There's the deception of the world. The one world economy. Cashless and secured society. People want unity. Europe presented that, remember. 
and the one world government, people are going to tell you it's the best interest for planet Earth. Global warming. By the way, I saw a video from a few days ago at the Anglican Church of Grace Church in downtown San Francisco. Have you seen it, that video? Listen, guys. Priests are walking in a procession and men dressed like trees are walking also. And they're all walking and walking and walking. And it's all because we need to save planet Earth, the climate change. Even the so-called church is now part of it. The agenda is government is for a good thing. That's the only way we can control all the countries to somehow contribute to the fight of global warming. What about the peace that they will introduce, peace in the Middle East that will project to the whole world? People also want a hero. Revelation 13 says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. They want a hero. They want everyone to hold hands and sing, We are the world. They want economy. They want. And then, of course, people want peace. But this evening, I will ask you what peace will he bring? Daniel says, that last week of the 70th week, referring to Israel, is the length of that peace. And he will break it halfway through. He can only give you peace for seven years, and even that he cannot keep. But the peace of God is different. Daniel says, and he shall confirm a covenant. By the way, in the Hebrew, increase a covenant. With many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. You see, the Antichrist has to deal with Israel, has to have something to do with peace, and has to do something to do with the temple. These are the three things you always have to consider. And he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the cons consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So there is the deception of the nations. In Revelation 12, we see that the Antichrist and the world are going to come against Israel. The women will have to flee, representing Israel, will have to flee to the desert for three and a half years. But God will protect them because God is different. If that guy can give you peace for seven years and break it after three and a half, 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every way. The Lord be with you all. He can give you peace all the time, everywhere. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of Peace. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lamb of God. He's Emmanuel. He's the one who promised that He will never leave you, nor forsake you. And being the truth, He cannot even lie to you. 
Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he concentrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having ourselves, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. We're not taking pleasure in the ungodliness. We're being washed from it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of, the, of, of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day is approaching. So I will conclude with one verse. See, Jesus is the truth. He never lied. And he told his disciples the truth. He never said, once you believe in me, you will have a garden of roses. He actually said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Not in the UN. Not in the US. Not in military or political entities. Not in, in, in the system of this world. In me you have peace. In this world... You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen? And we're not going to talk about the Antichrist anymore. Now we understand what it is, where it's from. When and why? But we belong to Jesus. And we're going to be with Him. And we are the generation that shall not pass. And we are the only people that see that the day is approaching. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.